Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Sunday, May 10th, was World Lupus Day. Lupus is an inflammatory autoimmune disease for which there is no cure. Followers of this show know Lupus Detroit and its Lupus Warriors have become more than just regular guests each year. Sharon Harris, the founder and executive director of Lupus Detroit, is family. Because of a COVID-19 pandemic, Lupus Detroit's main fundraising events the Lupus Detroit Brunch in May, and the Walk for Warriors in the fall have been canceled, but the work continues. Sharon joins us to talk about how the organization continues to provide support for warriors, including virtual meetings and webinars. She'll also introduce us to another phenomenal Lupus warrior, Kaylin Risker-Foy. Kaylin is not only a lupus warrior, but also a survivor of domestic violence. After escaping an abusive relationship, she went on to found SAFE, Sisters Acquiring Financial Empowerment, to equip survivors of domestic violence with the appropriate financial tools and resources needed to enable women to leave or recover from the economic portion of domestic violence. In 2015, she married and moved to St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, but continues to run safe long distance with the assistance of a group of dedicated volunteers. In 2016, she joined the Virgin Island Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Council as program liaison. The council is a leader of the Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Awareness cause. Kaylin still visits Detroit regularly for SAFE and to support her lupus warrior family. Sharon and Kaylin, Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you both today? Oh my God, I'm so sleepy. I went out at about 11, ate a salad, and now I'm sleepy. But you know, usually this time of year, we're talking about the brunch and we're planning for Mm -hmm. the walk. And then this virus kicks in. 
Now it's nothing. <laughs> I know. No, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And I know that must have been a hard call for you to cancel both. Yeah, because I don't want my uh, I don't want people's blood on my hands. So it's, I'm better sir, safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just rescheduling. Mm-hmm. Now I know with both of those. Are, I mean, although we have a great time, both of those are fundraisers for Lupus Detroit. Mm-hmm. How is that impacting the organization by having to cancel those? Michelle, I know every time I'm on your show, I say we're so blessed, and we are. How about GSK, who gave us $15,000 yes. for the event, said, keep, keep the money. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yes. Uh-huh. Keep the money. Oh, mm-hmm. and I was really floored because I was ready to give it back because we're not having events. Mm-hmm. But... The representative that we work with said, keep it. So um, I kept it. <laughs> and so we're, we're playing things around it. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And what about the scholarship awards this year? That'll be announced this week since the um, brunch is supposed to be Saturday. So we'll mm-hmm. probably announce the winner on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no, no misstep in that either. That's still going on. Yeah, because mm-hmm, we're not gonna deprive students because that one thousand dollars could be a lifesaver for someone. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're still gonna give it away. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now I know that you have your monthly meetings, and one of the things that you know from the very beginning, how you said how no lupus warrior should have to take make the decision between medication and taking care of um, their family. Now, one of the things that we heard was one of the medications that they uh, prescribed for many people doing with uh, for lupus, you know, because of this COVID thing, they said mm-hmm. that people were, were stockpiling them, doctors were giving them for their families, and lupus warriors weren't able to get it. Are you still, are you hearing that? And how are our lupus sisters and brothers doing? You know, they've backed up off of that, mm-hmm. the uh, Plaquenil. So mm-hmm. I was hearing it a lot at first, and it's so funny <laughs> because some some of the patients were, weren't getting it. But I gave them some links where they can get it free. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them applied to the programs, and they're now getting it for free versus paying, you know, the the $4 or the $10 that they were um, being charged. Mm-hmm. So it actually worked out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, and the, the meetings for our lupus warriors, how are you handling those? Yeah, they're going to be online. Uh-huh. Are you going to Zoom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the only thing, you know, that we can do. And where we pay for, like, the community rooms, they're giving mm-hmm. us our money back. So I'm like, wow. So oh, they, wow. They really need, right, they really uh-huh. need business. Wow. Yeah. That is just, that's, that's just amazing. You know, I mean, and it's really good to, to, to hear that all these things are going. I mean, I always talk about Lupus Detroit. I think it's one of my, mm-hmm. it is. I mean, it is, you know, it's my favorite organization, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and every Lupus warrior who you have introduced me to, beginning mm-hmm. with you, I always mm-hmm. feel like, you know, and excuse my friends, but damn, there's some badass women, you know. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I was yeah. at a, I was Thanks. at a meeting, 
lady comes in, her name is Tamika, and I'm looking at her, she's looking at me, I'm looking at her, and she said, you come to the Lupus Detroit thing? Mm-hmm. I said, yes, I do. And here she was, giving up herself to the community. You know, we always remember Beverly, who gave up herself. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these amazing women who mm-hmm. just seem to come, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I think that Lupus, I don't know. Am I, am I trying to knock you down? But you all seem to have a, a cape and an F on your chest. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think we're just, you know, when we go through the tough time with our with our lupus, you know, and so then when we rebound, it's like, okay, what can we do to help, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just like Kayla, you know, Kayla mm-hmm. has lupus, but she does mm-hmm. everything else in the world. So, and, and then Kayla and as our guest this weekend, you know, mm-hmm. each time, you know, because I had started doing shows with you, and after a while you said, you know, talk about this lupus for you. This woman mm-hmm. is doing that. This woman is doing that. So when I saw that, you know, this is lupus, uh, May 10th is lupus uh, awareness yeah. day. We mm-hmm. talk about lupus throughout May. When I saw, especially, you know, I'm, you know, I got it on my calendar twice a year, lupus <laughs> Detroit show. You know, yeah. that's just uh-huh. it. And mm-hmm. when I contacted you and I said, Sharon, you know, at that time, yeah. what are we going to do? And you gave me the name of our guest. Would you introduce her and tell me how you came to know her? Sure. That is Miss Kaylin. She is Kim Foy, right, Kaylin? Yes, Kaylin, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said it right. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and, and look, Michelle, she got married and moved to the islands on me. She used to be two <laughs> minutes away. She didn't feel in love and just didn't love me. But um, she, and she's our, our um, speaker for May 27th, and she creates SAFE, and that's for women who have experienced um, domestic violence. And she's also a lupus warrior, and she is really, even in the islands, she's very um, active when it comes to domestic violence, like she is here in Michigan, in Detroit. So I would like to introduce Kaylin Foy. I like for folks to introduce themselves so, shoo, they can tell you all about them. <laughs> I might leave something out. But, well, uh-huh. but she, she will get us told. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> hey, Kaylin, how did you meet Sharon Harris? How did I meet Sharon Harris? <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? I, it's, I, I was waiting for her to tell me because I was like, it's just been like I've known you forever now. I can't remember mm-hmm. when we met. I don't know if we met through Sandra Epps or at mm-hmm. the but Sharon is everywhere. And when you see her, she mm-hmm. knows everybody. And her face just, her smile just lights up the room. And she's the type of person like, okay, I got to meet her. I got to get to know her. So I think it was something like that. Yeah, it's so funny. All the all the great ones. I don't. I do not know how I met them. Right, right. <laughs> I do. I have no clue. Okay, I'm like you say. I don't know if it's through Sandy. I don't know if, if it's through one of your fundraisers or one of mine. I don't know. But Kaylin, she's just like her mom, who is in heaven. Just sweet, uh-huh. sweet people. Just sweet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, those are the ones that, that, that you are drawn to, mm-hmm. you know. So, and I, I don't know how many years we've known each other, but it's, we, we oh, do definitely the work. over 10. Wow. Really, definitely over 10. Definitely wow. over 10 years. 
Yep. Okay. I've been mm-hmm. here for five, so it has to be over ten. You see? Okay. Okay. It don't seem like it's been that long, has it? Mm-hmm. And when we met you, you know that. But we, well, we understand. <laughs> But love does. But love does. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but but love hasn't started. Kaylin, how yeah. old were you when you realized when you found out that you had lupus? So my lupus story. I was actually older. I um, <laughs> I was over thirty. I had um, my aunt had lupus. And so one of my aunts had lupus, and uh, another aunt had, I'm not going to say it right, but I think it's called philodermis. She had another version of something, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. an immune situation. And my aunt passed mm-hmm. uh, from, from, from that. And um, the one in uh, California, my aunt Michelle, was like, you know, she was telling all the women in the family to be aware of these autoimmune disorders. You know, she was concerned that they might be genetic, and she was just encouraging us all to take care of ourselves. So a cu- literally a couple of weeks after my other aunt, Jackie, passed, um, I had ran out of gas in my car in Detroit on the freeway. So I'm trying to get on 96. And my car just runs out of gas, and so I pull over, and this was like when gas had like first hiked, like super high, it was like super high gas. I ran out of gas, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So I pull over on the side of the freeway. I get out of my car, and I was like, okay, I don't want to sit in my car in this, all this crazy traffic. I was scared somebody might hit me or something. So I get out of my car, and I walk up the grassy hill, and I just sit in the grass, and the sun was beaming down on me. And I was calling people trying to get a ride or some help. Coworker ended up seeing me on the side of the road, picking me up. But at that, the point that they picked me up, I started to get very sick, and I did not know what was wrong with me. So, but this had been happening, and I didn't know what was happening. I went to an outdoor art show, and I got this serious headache. And I, honestly, I had thought it was something to do with, and I'll talk about the domestic violence story, but I thought it had something to do with that. Like I had this migraine. It was like hurting me behind my eyes. I had to take a Tylenol. I literally started crying. So now this, I'm, at, I'm, I'm getting pulled over. My friend takes me over. I'm starting to feel sick. I get in the house, and I was just so hot. Like my skin was hot to the touch, and I'm like, oh, I'm so hot. I'm so hot. I took a shower. I wake up. When I woke up, I couldn't straighten myself out. My back, my fingers, my toes, like everything was just like crunched up. Like it was all curled up. I couldn't straighten myself up. And I was crying and I didn't know what happened to me. And I said, I need to go to a doctor. So I go to this clinic and I told the doctor, I said, um, they were like, well, you know, it's nothing wrong with you just probably, I don't know what they said, stress. They said something just very dismissive. Uh-huh. And I insisted on a test. I said, can you, my aunt told me to ask you all to test me for lupus. Well, it can't possibly be that. And I had also broke out into high. So I had completely uh-huh. broke out into high. Like I had was freaking out at this point. Completely broke out into high, couldn't straighten up, stiff, 
And they're like, oh, you just like ate something. That's what it was. You allergic reaction with the hives or something. I'm like, no, you're not eating anything under ordinary. Can you give me a test? They were like, no. Mm-hmm. And so I refused to leave out of the room. The only reason why I was that, I was that determined for a test is because my aunt had just died a couple of weeks ago. If that series of events hadn't happened, I would have just went home, and I probably, I don't know, to this day probably wouldn't have got a diagnosis. So I would not leave out the room, and I was like, I'm, can you just give me a test? And they were like, no. So they said, well, we're going to call the supervisor or the manager in here. So the manager comes in, and I'm like, can you test me? So he was like, well, you don't need one, but the only reason why I'll just go ahead and let you get a test is because your aunt, you have this going on in your family, and you have two aunts. So they give me the test, get the results later, go back in the office to get the results, and they said, well, you have it, but barely. What does that mean? What? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you just didn't want to be wrong, and I never went back to them after that. They're like, yeah, you had a little thirty two of rheumatologists, but you know, you didn't have to get the test. I was just like, Are you serious? So anyway, so that was in two thousand and six and that was actually at, right after I started faith. I was in college at the time. I had uh, just finished my bachelor's, started my master's degree and I started this nonprofit organization. At the time, I'm a single mom with two kids. I had a lot going on in my life at one time, and now I'm getting a diagnosis that I have lupus. You know, the thing that that is so heartbreaking, because I've talked to, like, so many people, and including, you know, we're sharing how many of you have got many women who have lupus. I mean, and here you had a really clear, you know, reason to think it, that the doctor's you know, being misdiagnosed or not getting the tests that they need. I mean, and so many serious things, complications from it. And here you had the, you had the, the, the line, you know, this relative has it, this one has it. They've told me, check me. And then, you know, just a little, you know, that, that's like them saying you were just a little bit pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the part. I mean, that, that's the part which is just, like, so phenomenal. And much like many of the other women that I've talked to, like you are, you're juggling all these things, and you've got to keep it going, plus you get this diagnosis of lupus. Well, once they decided that you were just a little bit, a little bit lupus, they sent you to then a rheumatologist. I, then I started going to a rheumatologist, and then talking to the rheumatologist, I learned that I had symptoms way beyond that. I had been to the emergency room for pleurisy a couple of times. And that's where your lung is like inflamed and I couldn't breathe. Uh So I had Uh been dealing with different symptoms all along, been going to get medical treatment, but nobody made the connection up until that point. And I was very fortunate my rheumatologist that I was seeing at the time in Detroit was really open to alternative remedies and methods and kind of mixing it up. And so um, I did a lot of that as far as my course and my treatment, you know, through the years. And I'm really, you know, grateful that I've been able to somewhat maintain it, you know. And um, I've definitely had some, you know, really bad flares during, through the years, um, even at some inopportune times, 
you know, and, and I'm sure some of it might have been flared, triggered by stress and things like that. Like before some of some major events that I've given in the city of Detroit, I was so sick, but just had to, you know, I just felt like I needed to let the show go on and continue on when I really needed to take care of myself, honestly. So, you know, and I think that, that that's tips because, you know, I talk about how fierce lupus women and lupus warriors are, primarily women, but all lupus warriors are because, like you said, you had kids, you were going to school, and especially as black women, we, we sort of have always heard, okay, well, I've got to suck it up, I've got to keep going, I've got to mm-hmm. take care of these things, but we don't take care of ourselves. And it's and, so unfair. Like uh-huh. And you knew it, it's an unfair thing that we put on ourselves. Right. Uh-huh. It, uh-huh. It's, a, it's an unfair thing that society puts on us and black women that this, you know, like you have to be superwoman. But that same superhero expectation isn't put on women of other cultures. And I do feel like it's unfair in retrospect. You know, it's like at the time I was accomplishing things, I was supporting people and other people, but... Um, you know, I, I just encourage people to to, uh, to definitely care for your health because at the end of the day, that's what you have, and that's, you know, you only got your health, seriously. When you when you talk to your relatives and you tell them you finally got the diagnosis, how were they able to support you? Well, my mother completely broke down because she had just uh-huh. lost her aunt. So she, she was uh-huh. really like, she, 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 Initially, it was like a death sentence in her, like that she freaked out. And, um, but she eventually calmed down, you know, I had to, I had to like, I couldn't even process it myself fully because I had to calm her down first because she was so worried about her baby, you know. And, um, and so my aunts who had it, they were, you know, supportive, but it's, through the years, you know, even it's crazy because even other lupus warriors have said to me, like, well, you don't look like you have lupus. Like, what? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like people say, you don't look like a survivor of domestic violence. What does that look like, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, you, and so me doing and accomplishing and moving and doing and doing, when I do say I don't feel good or I'm, like, really tired, it's just, it's a sluggish day or I've used up all my spoons. I don't have anything else. Like people just family members, friends, they just, it don't, that doesn't connect to them. Like they don't, mm-hmm. sometimes they don't hear me, you know. Yeah, but- I, I, I am grateful that my husband, and he's, he's like read up on it and, and mm-hmm. researched and learned about like the spoons and all this. And so he checks in with me, not just in the morning, but like throughout the day to see where I am in my energy level. And I really, really appreciate that. That's good. Well, we're going to take our first break here. And I want to talk about some of the other things that you do despite having lupus. So we'll be right yeah. back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at 
thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm joined by a lupus warrior. And not only are you a lupus warrior, but you are a survivor of domestic abuse. You formed an organization. And, you know, I was listening to an interview with you, Kaylin, and you were talking about the financial uh, ways that you, women can be kept in these kind of relationships. And, you know, most people think, well, if you see someone, if they, if they have a black eye, they go like, oh, I wonder if that's domestic abuse. But you might not think if they come and you see that they have to turn to their partner and ask for a dollar to buy an essential or, you know, they don't think of that as a means of abuse or someone who is, uh, narcissistic abuse. There are many forms of domestic abuse. How can, do you mind sharing your story of survival and how you went from being a survival of, of victim abuse to being an advocate through SAFE? Yes. So in 1998, a long time ago, I was in a a seven-and-a-half-year relationship with my oldest daughter's father. And uh, Labor Day weekend of that year, he abused me. He assaulted me to the point that he shattered my skull, and he completely shattered my left eye socket. I have a titanium implant under my eye that actually holds my eye up. And it was a very, um, a very challenging time, to say the least, physically, mentally, emotionally. How could this person I love have a child with? We're supposed to have a family. We're supposed to get married. You know, try to kill me, really. And um, how, how did this happen? It was really hard for me um, to kind of wrap my head around. And while I'm trying to process through that and trying to access services and counseling services for myself and my daughter, I also had to figure out, okay, he's now in jail waiting trial. How do I financially keep our family afloat? This was 1998. The Violence Against Women Act went into law in 1994, so it was only four years after it was a federal law. So there wasn't a lot of programs or resources or things like that for victims of domestic violence. I actually didn't realize that I was even in an abusive relationship or a victim of domestic violence until I was physically assaulted. And now my eye is busted and my lip is busted and I look like the pictures on the poster and then I connected with this. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it was really hard for me. I actually, my doctor didn't give me a return to work note. So I, I said, okay, well, if he won't let me go back to work, I had just had a surgery and I still had double vision, but I needed money. So I said, okay, if I can't go back to my job, then I'll find a new job because on a new job they don't ask for it. They can't do a health return fitness form. So I ended up getting a new job in payroll. And I just told you my eye, I had double vision at the time. 
So I'm working in this payroll company, and I'm messing up people's checks left and right. I'm adding zeros, subtracting zeros, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. So they called me into the mm-hmm. office, and they said, um, maybe we started you off a little too aggressively. Let's put you back in another department, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. we, we're going to keep you at the same pay. And I was just happy about that. And I was too scared to say, this happened to me, this is what's going on, I still need to go to court. Like, I didn't say anything because all I knew was I need to keep this job. I didn't need these people to think that I was crazy. I didn't want them to judge me as people judge victims of domestic violence. I didn't want that kind of stress, so I kept it to myself. And so I actually, over time, physically got better, and I look, I, I look back, I wish I still had this picture. It was a, they, they would take pictures of all the new employees and put them on the wall. And I was working there at their company for a couple of years, and I remember looking on the wall of all the employees, and my first day picture was just like, wow. Like, my, my, I was, my face was red. It was just like you could still see the bruising and stuff, but if you didn't know, you might. I guess you wouldn't have been paying you just thought those way I looked. But I was looking at that picture like, oh, my God. So I ended up working my way. I ended up liking the work. Um, I ended up going back to school and, um, to get my bachelor's in, in business administration, human resource management. I uh, worked my way up. I ended up working as an administrator for a hospital in Detroit, a hospital in HMO. While I was working there, I met different women, different stages from people trying to get a job to people trying to hold on to their job, and I saw how domestic violence affected them, how it affected the coworkers, how it affected the company when, when domestic violence is going on. You know, we had to hire a security because people were being stalked in the parking lot. And so from my personal experience to my professional experience, and honestly, a Direct word from the Lord, which that you have to have me on the show for a whole another conversation about how that happened. But a direct uh-huh. word from the from the Lord, start this organization called Sisters Acquiring Financial Empowerment. We also call it SAFE. That's going to directly help survivors overcome the effects of economic abuse. So that's you know someone who isn't allowed to work, or if you are working, you don't have access either or, or the ability to have control over your own paycheck. This even for kids in college whose partners are controlling their uh, they refund check, their student refund check, to controlling EBT food stamp benefits, to controlling hundreds of thousands of dollars. People that are rich are also can be economically abused. Domestic violence doesn't discriminate on any level. And so we, when we first started the organization, we focused on what the need was at the time and where my skill set was strongest at the time, and that was helping survivors to seek work. How do you seek work if you're being stopped? How do you like, make your resume reflect more of your skills versus perhaps you had different jobs because of the situation or you got fired? Like, how do we still present you as a strong candidate? How do you interview when you've been mentally and emotionally abused, you're told that you're stupid, don't nobody love you, your dog don't even like you, your mama don't even like you. So now how can you go to an interviewer and say, I'm the best candidate for this position? So we're really working through all of those situations that at the time when I started the organization in 2006, a lot of people didn't see the connection between looking for work and domestic violence. And so that was, in addition to me working directly with the victim, it was also um, 
doing a lot of community awareness around this issue. And I, I really want to say that we were extremely instrumental in bringing that, those issues in that conversation forward, not just in Detroit, but even on a national level. Then another thing that the organization did that I really want to say was be, the, looking at the intersection between my own health challenges with uh-huh. lupus and domestic violence was our annual Health and Wealth Expo. And this was a huge event that we had every year. We would have over 800 people that would come out for this event. Whole Foods would donate us a thousand lunches to pass out. For Garden Harvest would give us a thousand bags of groceries. The medical center would do health exams. We some years we had up to 30 different work breakout workshop sessions. We had uh, people with information and giveaways, and it was just a huge event. And it was a domestic violence event that we gave in October, but it was so much more than that. It was really you're not just a victim or a survivor of domestic violence, but you're a whole person that needs a whole gamut and a whole lot of different services and resources and support around finances, around your children, around seeking work, how to survive, how to safety plan this domestic violence situation, how can you remain safe and navigate all these different situations, as well as resources for your health and and I, I was really looking at, like, the whole Maslow's Law, like the basic needs. When you come in, we don't know how you're coming into this event. This was an annual event. We don't know how you're coming in, so we need to feed you. We need to make sure that you have some of your basic needs. So now we have your attention. Now you can focus. You, you've eaten. Now you can listen to a workshop. And so we would do – we also did every, every week workshops smaller groups with survivors, and we always have food because it was the same thing. I don't know where these women are coming from. I don't know what their experience are. They might have brought their child with them. We're going to make sure that there's some food. We're going to make sure there's some support. We're going to give you some resources and things beyond this conversation that we're talking about today. Did you find that your experience, you know, there's a stigma. There's a stigma about being sick. There's also a stigma about domestic violence, and just like how someone said to you, you don't look like you have lupus, people sometimes look at certain women and say, like, well, she doesn't look like she's domestic, you know, a victim of domestic violence. She's not a victim. She looks fine. Is there, what from your experience, were there lessons that you learned that you're able to bring to women who, who come into that space to where they can combat that stigma, that they know that people might say this, but that's not uh, uh, about them, that's not them, that they are who they are, and their experiences are real, and how to stand up despite what people might look at and go like, well, you don't look like. So that's a big part of our conversation but a bigger part of my conversation to not to the victims but to the community because it's not, I don't feel it's the victim's responsibility to say, yes, I want victims to know it's not your fault. You are not, the, you are not, this is not, nobody made somebody abuse you. This is not your fault. You didn't cause this. And people are like, well, what did you do? People said that to me today. Well, what did you do to him to make him so mad? Mm-hmm. He tried to kill me. There are people who get so mad all the time. The same person gets mad at their boss, gets mad on the job. They just try to kill their boss. So Mm -hmm. it's not your fault. So really, 
the first level is the community needs to understand that it's not victim's fault. So that way when victims are, before, before anything happens, you're in the community, you already know, we need to look at the abuser and hold the abuser accountable for this, not the victim. But definitely, you know, because we aren't there yet as a community, that's my goal. Because we're not there yet as a community, it's important to have these conversations with victims, with women, with men, with children, with boys, with girls, and, and, and to emphasize that. And then as you're talking to a victim, to, that's, that's part of the work is to have those conversations about, you know, you're okay, you didn't deserve this, you actually, you know, and this is where our exercise of going through the resume is to talk about what are the things that make you special, what are your transferable skills, what are the things that you have, you might not even realize that these things were precious. I'll give you an example. So okay. one time we were, I was, we were doing mock interviews with a survivor, and her interview literally said, she worked for Burger King, I cooked the food, period. And I was like, well, what, what did you do? Like, <laughs> what are you hiding? What happened? And she was like, nothing. I was like, well, tell me more about it. So she was like, well, sometimes, you know, I help with the timesheet. I help on the register. I swept. I, I help with other staff with their um, shifts. And then she said, and I never missed a day, and I was on time every single day for like five years or something like that. And I said, oh, my God, I I'm never late. I'm never on time for anything like that. That's amazing. <laughs> Somebody would totally want to hire you. And so I was telling her about all the things. I'm like, okay, so you're trustworthy with money. You handle the cash register. You're a team player. You help your other people. And so I'm telling her what she said back to me, but in a different way that made it. It's like, okay, these are things that other employers want to see. These are things that make you valuable. You're awesome. And then by the end, like at first she couldn't even look at me in the eye. By the end of the session, she was smiling and everything. Mm. Wow. But it is true because often, especially, you know, if you've been devalued, you don't, you don't recognize it. Especially, I mean, I could even say like if you were a woman and you were in there, you are giving a very tight budget. But you are able to not only manage that budget, take care of these kids, make sure they make their those are skills, you know, that how do you transfer that into it? But if you've been told you're not good at and this is all you can do, you don't see it as skills. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So SAFE is there. What kind of programs does SAFE offer in order to, to help women find themselves, to find their inner strength, to, to be safe? Well, unfortunately, we have <laughs> downsized our programming due to funding and support, uh-huh. but we're still out there. So a lot of things that we do, what we were doing in person, we're doing it virtually. So we'll uh-huh. still help people, you know, with their safety plans, with resume, with jobs, with budgeting, with resources, with things of that nature. So things, we're still focused around economic empowerment. Mm-hmm. Now, Sharon, let's stop the bag. You know, you and I got married. You're down there in St. Thomas. And instead of sitting by the, by the ocean, drinking <laughs> your fruity drinks and chilling. <laughs> <laughs> on the beach with my pineapple and coconut, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. You're still involved. I mean, yes. with domestic violence in a place yes. where I think that if people think of, of of the Virgin Island, they're thinking of the beach, the fruity drink, sunshine. And yes. here you are. Instead of you know saying, hey, found hey, he's concerned about my lupus. He's checking on me, making sure I'm getting my rest and I'm doing okay. You know, you didn't. You know, say I'm out of here safe. You know, you you kept your your hands sort of like in safe here back in Detroit. You're down there. Why did you say, let me get back in there? I still have more work to do. Well, the work called me. Honestly, <laughs> I wasn't looking mm-hmm. for it. <laughs> I, I was just like you thought. I'm like, I'm, you know, safe can continue. We have great volunteers. I'll check in. I'll do some administrative stuff, and I'm moving. I, I said, maybe I think I need to retire. Like this is where my head was at. I was like, I am tired because I was so. I had been doing work for over ten years, and my whole world flipped upside down, my mom passed, like just all these different things. And the whole time that I ran SAFE, I never received a check from SAFE. And I was doing SAFE full time. SAFE was my full time only gig, didn't have any other jobs for 10 years. I was a single mom, two kids, house, all the bills you can imagine. And I'm helping people, but I was struggling. I was speaking and doing honorariums and contracts and stuff like that to try to piece stuff together, but it was a very, very stressful time. So when I got married and made the decision to move, which I don't know why, but it was a hard decision for me to move. I felt like I had to stay, like I still had a responsibility. And then I was like, wait, I can still support, I can still do, but I can also live my life too. And I said, okay, I'm going to move. So after I moved, I actually didn't do anything for like a year. So I didn't do anything of any great significance. I was still maintaining safe people would call. I would answer the phone, help, but not like major things like I was doing before. And then we had other volunteers that would also help. So it wasn't 100% on me like it had been in the past. And so, in, so I had said, okay, I'm going to look for me a job. And so this is, this is I, I have so many testimonies about how God kept me through all these years. And so there would be different times through the years I would check back in, like, hey, you still want me doing the same thing? I don't see it. I don't see it happening. He's like, keep going. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I'm just going to look for me a job not down here. You know, I could dust off my HR degree and go back to that. So I was looking for a job. And then we ended up having two Category 5 hurricanes in two weeks here in St. Thomas. And we had just bought our house three months beforehand. We lost the roof off of our house. It was a whole situation. So this major trauma, big thing happened. And a couple of days after the storm, my daughter, my oldest daughter was getting married. I missed her wedding, so it was like all this stuff going on. And then we got through it, and then that following summer, I get an email like, oh, we got your resume for a job with the Virgin Islands Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Council. Are you interested? I'm like, sure. I ended up working. I'm like, okay. 
Now, before that, there was different situations here on the island in regards to domestic violence. I gave a woman a ride, and she's like, the reason why I don't have a car is because my husband won't let me drive a car. She's telling me about this domestic violence situation. We were at home. It was Valentine's Day. We we got back from dinner, and um, a young girl comes to our house in her pajamas crying because the boyfriend hit her and her mother. And... We were in an apartment complex this before we had got the house, and I was like, of all the houses and apartments, why they have to come to mind, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this domestic violence thing is like, you know, there's something you're supposed to do, basically. So I guess I needed that first year to get my mind right and get, you know, I was a newlywed and all that other good stuff, and then... Now I'm all fully charged. I'm, I'm back on track. And I, I've been back now for a couple of years, actually, a few years. You know, okay, I have a question. I mean, which might ground that. There's two things. First of all, I mean, you know, I think that when all the pictures that you see of places in the Caribbean, you know, although we know domestic violence is everywhere, that's not one of the things that they put in the tourist guide, you know. So, um, oh, no. so. First of all, my first question is, were you, how aware were you of what's, what was going on there? And was it, be, did you hear about it or was it not until you started to see it, you started to see these women? Um, I, was, I was actually aware just because I, I've been doing work on a national level uh, for some time now. So um, I've been, you know, and and then I even spoke at the World Shelter Conference. So I've been hearing about how domestic violence works and how it affects different places. I was also Mm -hmm. working for the Institute on Domestic Violence in the African American Community. I worked for them for a while, doing different projects. And so the Caribbean is always on the radar of um, black-focused domestic violence groups. So fortunately, I didn't come down here with that thought that it wasn't. Mm -hmm present, and I'm glad I didn't because that would have been, you know, hard for me to move forward, I guess, with working. Mm-hmm. So I already knew because I truly embraced that it can affect everybody. And when that, mm-hmm. that really hit me back in, that really hit me years ago when one of our volunteers passed, and that, that professionally and personally threw me for a loop, Christina Lozana. She um, she owned a company, a popcorn company, in the metropolitan Detroit area, and she came to SAFE to give back to other survivors, and she was free with her story on what happened to her before. She was like, this happened to me before, and um, I don't want this to happen to anybody else, and I want to support you, and she was there, like, rolling her sleeves up, helping me organize the office of files, and then she was there donating, you know, resources and funding and all this. So I had went to the auto show in Detroit and came home, looked on Facebook, and saw that she had been murdered. And it, mm. then when I later learned that it was her husband, and she did not tell me, but I blame myself because I'm like, she's here working and supporting, and I'm seeing her and I'm talking to her. But I never asked her, like, are you okay? You good? I'm just, I'm uh, I'm doing the same thing that I'm telling other people to do, like making assumptions or just because somebody tells you something and not, like digging deeper. So from that, that really shook me on a lot of levels of 
what does a domestic violence survivor look like? So, you, you know, even in paradise, unfortunately, America's paradise is big COVID. Uh, domestic mm-hmm. violence can still happen. And, um, you know, and then there's a lot of, like, cultural differences in how it's presented and, you know, whether people feel comfortable in leaving and so supporting people where they are and how they are in a culturally specific way is also very important, being very sensitive to people. Okay. Now, my other question flips to your other part of your life, having lupus. And even though the Virgin Islands, the St. Thomas is part of the U.S. Virgin Islands, but you had to go through a bit, you know, going from being a little bit, a little bit lupus um, to finding the doctor who worked with you who were doing it. Did you have, and I know we are a more mobile society, were, did you have any concerns about leaving this medical, this support network around lupus that you had here in Detroit going to St. Thomas? That's a very good question, and yes, I was very concerned, so much so that when I first moved here, I was actually flying back every few months to continue my medical stuff in Detroit, but fortunately since then, I found some great doctors and dentists and, you know, other support people here, and I found a great doctor, Dr. Woodson here, who also, you know, can support um Meet my health journey, and she really looked at alternative natural treatments as well. So I'm really happy now. But um, I just found her. I moved here. I had been going back and forth since 2014, but I actually moved here in 2016, and I just found her last, like, in the winter. So it was a while that I was, like, People were like, oh, you come back to Detroit? I'm like, yeah, but I'm super busy. And I know they were like, why are you so busy? I had a thousand appointments. I was seeing my rheumatologist, my this doctor, that doctor, all of that. Mm-hmm. It was like a medical, medical tourism in Detroit, basically. Mm-hmm. How did you find a doctor? I mean, because, you know, sometimes in order to escape domestic violence, you do have to move. You have to leave the area that has been home, which is, can also be the thing that holds somebody in a relationship is because what they consider their support network is in that place. But how do you go about, how did you go about, and what would you suggest to someone if you're thinking, you know, I have just got to get out of here, but I've got something. It, does, it can be lupus, it can be anything. How do you go about finding the resources you need to live healthily if you so have to I leave would home. Suggest, I would suggest the first step would to, would to be to connect with a local domestic violence program that can help you to safety plan. So visiting the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org is a good start. So that's the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and they could refer you to a local program. Safety planning looks different for every person. So a person with um, medical and, and medical challenges can be a challenge, but it's not a challenge you can't overcome without planning. And then you never know what kind of resources your local program might have. They might have connections with uh, someone who's willing to donate services or resources, or they might know another program that can help you. And so, you know, just reaching out and talking to somebody through what those challenges or what your perceived challenges are and making a real plan. Um, and when you plan, 
I always say make sure you write down and think about if you, may, if you don't write it down. There's a, um, I wish I wrote it down, but I'm not. It's called My Plan App. I think that's the name of it. So it's a new app that allows you to plan online and keep your, your information safe so nobody can see it or know what the app is. So looking for that app online. Um, so there's different ways that you could do the safety planning situation, but talk to somebody. Think about what medications you need to take with you, prescriptions, your ID, your medical card, your birth certificate, your children's records, the immunization records, like all of those things you need to have available because once you make, if you make the decision to leave, you don't want to go back like, oh, well, I got to go back. I forgot my three pills, you know, because that could put you in a very dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the other conversations that, that you had, you, you met someone, you're going to move away. How did you discuss lupus with him and where he became such where he's checking on you and everything? And I'm sure a lot of it is just because of the person that he is. But how did you go about having that conversation? You know, like, okay, well, look, if I come down there with you, I need this kind of support. I'm going to have to come back to Detroit while I look for, you know, my uh, health care team. And also, you know, you talked about how being out in the sun, <laughs> I mean, sort of triggered something that one time with your car. Well, there's a lot of sun down there most of the time. Yes. So how, and how, so, does, how does it come about? Okay, so all those are good questions. I'll start with the last one first. That's a really good question because <laughs> – that was actually something I was concerned about. And so I even, like, went online and bought, like, sleeves for my arm and parasols and all kind of, you know, sun protective gear. And I guess I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm going to say God plus, you know, some of the, the, the remedies that I take that I have been taking for a while, I think that they've also helped me with this. So I haven't had one... Hives, I haven't worked out in hives. Now, I have mm-hmm. had other things, tired, you know, other things. But as far as, like, being out in the sun, the thing about it, the other thing about it is that for a long time, actually since, since you know, my diagnosis, um, I'm more of a vampire anyway. So I'm not <laughs> a, a sun goddess. I'm not, I'm not out there like that. And when I go to the beach, I'm there in the early morning or I'm there later. You know, I'm not going to go out in the height of the sun, you know, or anything like that. But um, I'm very aware of, like, what time it is and what time I'm hanging out outside. Like, when they have events, outdoor events, I'm not going out until after 3 type of thing. So, um so I guess that's how I manage it. And fortunately, I'm okay with that because I was already doing that anyway in Detroit. So. And I forget the other part of your question. You were asking about survivors? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you know, um, no, it's like having that conversation with someone so that they understand, you know, no, you can't just go take a nap and you're fine. And I know I'm, part of it has to come from being a caring person and someone who really cares about you to where – they're going to oh, yeah. check in on you to make sure you go, you're okay. But so when we first got together, we had a whole health conversation. Um, hmm. it, I guess this is grown people stuff. So he was like, <laughs> we both should get 
we should both get checked full checkups, exams. And I was like, wow, that's sexy. You know, that's real grown man stuff. You know, that's responsible. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that. So I, we ended up getting our full health exam and talking about our full health history. Now, for me getting the health exam, I actually had a breast cancer scare and um, with the lump, and I had to get the, the, the whole situation. Fortunately, I was fine. But I was like, if I didn't do that, then I would have never knew about that situation. So, um, mm-hmm. And so having – and the other thing that was unique with our situation is because we were long distance for so long. So we had, it was a lot more, you know, talking and texting. So me, you know, texting him an article about lupus or, you know, telling him, because he's like, well, what is that? And telling him about what it is and all of that. So, you know, with us not being together, and then he had time to look it up and figure out, you know, and read about it himself, and I was sharing him stuff. So, you know, because of our unique situation, I guess that's what also led to him learning more about it versus if we was, in the same place. We might not have had those mm-hmm. same conversations, maybe. I don't know. Well, a hat tip to him. I mean, you know, I mean, that, that he did that. Now, you're a mom. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a lot of things to pass on to your children. Do you have sons, daughters? I have two girls. Erin is 26. She's married. Well, my grandbaby, Alpha, who's a year and a half, and then my youngest, Tony, she's 18. She's graduating this year. You know, it's a different kind of graduation year, but we're still trying to make it very, very good. She's always been in school. She's a very good student. She's possibly she's running to be the class of auditorium. We're not sure yet, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. proud of her anyway, so, yeah. So as as a mom, I mean, you guys, mm-hmm. I mean, not only do you have a memoir that you need to write, but as a mom. And I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm writing it. You know, you have said how you have family members who talk to you about lupus. You've got a lot to talk to your daughters about without, you know, about um, being self-sufficient, about not just about, you know, domestic violence, but also about being self-sufficient, believing in themselves, uh, the possibility that, they might have lupus or, you know, later down the line as they have their own children and things. But this is something that needs to, to be in their mind. And even down to this point, in a relationship, having this health conversation, that's a yeah. lot. You know, that's a lot. Yeah. So, Mom, how do you do it? I mean, I guess it's just being open and having those ongoing conversations because I guess I thought I would never want to be in a situation where if something happened to me or if I got really sick, that they would be thrown off about it. So that they could just be aware and even be aware for their own selves, you know, if anything, just like how my aunt told me. So, um, so I'm pretty open and honest and transparent about it. And I think, you know, that's just part of family. Like you have to have each other's backs on different levels. That's how I was raised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Although we also know that in our community, the, particularly the African-American women, you know, we often don't want to talk about, even though you know, I mean, there's people who will right. have guests to have said they knew that the domestic violence was going on. Or you have someone who has, I've gone to the doctor and they said, tell me about your, your health history. And, before after my mother passed and my she had her her sister, I took care of her and she told me about the mother. I said I didn't know that we didn't talk about that. How do we start to have these conversations 
among, in the black community, but particularly amongst black women, where you can say, sis, come, come here, let me, let's talk about this. There ain't no shame in it. You know, I've been there. You could be there. How do we look out for each other? I think it's a multi-level thing. So it comes from the, you know, we got to be superwoman and somehow we're stronger than everybody else. So then I have to be, I feel like I have to be stronger. Then I, so I think there is, again, a mindset shift in our own community about expectations around black women first, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's okay for us to be soft. It's okay for us to cry. It's okay for us to take a nap. You know, we don't have to be on all the time, like, it's okay. So I think that's a big part of it, and I think that when someone is also important for us to hold people's things confidential. So if someone tells you something confidential, that you keep it confidential, you know, Mm -hmm. so that people would trust and they feel more open to share, that also can help move forward. And then, um, you know, and I guess it's from years of indoctrination of, you know, what go on in my house, stay in my house. But if you're talking mm-hmm. to your family, that's your house, it's okay. But it comes from that. It's like an offshoot of that, you know, and, and just, you know, not trusting people to hold what you say and not use it against you and not turn it against you. So people are scared of that. Like, okay, if I tell them I'm sick, whatever it is, well, you can't do this because I know you're sick. and you, can't, you know, and so nobody wants to hear that. So not treating people less than because they told you or revealed something about themselves is important. So we have to love each other and support each other and protect each other and respect mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take our second break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. If you're just uh, joining me, I am talking with Kaylin Foy, Kaylin Risker Foy, um, from Detroit. Um, staying in the Virgin Islands, but you know, she, once you're in from Detroit, you're always from Detroit. And yes. we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here with Kaylin Foy. Okay, when can we expect this memoir? Oh, my goodness. This <laughs> book has been in the writing for so long, for 10 years. At the start of this quarantine, I said, okay, I'm going um, I'm to take my time to write my book, and then people I knew passed. And I said, you know what, this book has been on pause for 10 years. I need to pause, grieve, get myself together, and be okay with that. Okay, I'm not going to accomplish the great American novel today. But trust me, it's coming. It'll be probably less than a year. My, and, and I'm putting pressure on myself. I'm like, because I have some good stories to share. People are going to laugh. They're going to cry. They're going to love it. 
And so I really want to do it justice. And so in the next year, and I really want to combine it with some book release events here and in Detroit. Um, I had planned a retreat here a couple of years ago, so I want to revisit that. In the next year or so, like when the book comes out, to bring some people down here to experience my St. Thomas the way I see it and how I fell in love with it and all that good stuff. So I'm excited about my book. Meanwhile, I've been supporting other authors. I actually wrote the foreword for DeAndrea Matthews' 30-Day Lupus Devotional. So I was really Mm -hmm. proud to be able to support that effort. And um, I'm, I'm I'm excited about it. So look out for it. Look out for my book. Follow me on my social media and keep up with me. <laughs> okay, now I, I know that you said for a while you were going back and forth till you um, found health care that you're happy with down there, but I know that you still have a connection with Safe and with Lupus Detroit. How yeah. are you maintaining those? And first of all, how is Safe doing? And when can, well, when, when will you be back? Okay, so SAFE is doing good. It is, you know, like I said, we're doing a lot of things virtually, which fits right now perfectly. Um, we're still helping survivors, survivors, your resources and referrals, you know, and we have a couple of volunteers that help with the phone calls that I'm very, very grateful for. Um, I'm actually, I have a couple of ideas kicked around in my head of some projects possibly that I might launch. And um, so SAFE is doing, doing good. Um, you asked about Lupus Detroit. My connection with Lupus Detroit, I, I have met so many awesome people through Lupus Detroit that I keep up with, that, you know, I um, network with. But being connected with Lupus Detroit, they post so much good information around Lupus that I, I since, uh, since I've been open and transparent about my Lupus journey, other Lupus warriors have come to me or the family of lupus warriors have asked me for advice resources so i always connect them with lupus detroit or even domestic violence survivors who said oh i also have lupus i'm like okay you need to connect with lupus detroit for information so i really lean on sharing and on lupus detroit very heavily as a resource and a referral a source of referrals and um you know i just love her so much and anything i can do to support her and her work you know, even if I'm not here, I'll still sponsor somebody to go to lunch. You know, I know funding and resources are very important for nonprofits. So just because Lucas Detroit hasn't, isn't able to do their in-person events, I want people to still consider them and what a great thing. And, and their outreach is just so – she's so creative with her outreach and the things that she does in the community. For example, I mean, I just was in tears. This wasn't my personal experience, but it just – grab my heart so that she's that there is a, a support group for prisoners who have lupus and so yeah. I actually wanted to I was kind of before the quarantine and I'm still going to do it once she's able to get out and mail the copies I wanted to donate to each person one of the 30-day lupus devotionals to each prisoner so yeah. you know supporting lupus Detroit I know for a fact that you are directly supporting lupus warriors. So I just encourage people to donate and wrap their arms around Sharon. She's doing phenomenal work to help people. And I, I look at her work. We recently lost a lupus warrior who was a dynamic mm-hmm. a light, you know, Tracy. And so 
her and Tracy was really close. And so to do this work and to see some people go on in glory, it's hard work. The work that she does is not easy. And I just ask the community to just wrap their arms around her and please continue to support her and lift her up. Well, you know, I can talk about the strength of lupus warriors. And as they walk through life, how they they touch people. And, you know, without doing, we're not, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. They're just being who mm-hmm. they are and they're strong, amazing people. Um, I think that last year I, I remember telling them uh, they did a, for Beverly Humphrey, and I was telling her that when Beverly went yeah. in the hospital, I was in a restaurant. And I was happened to be looking at my phone, and a waiter walked up, and he said, do you know her? And I said, yeah. And she had been in there like a few days before, and they gave a testimony to what a wonderful person she was, how she always gave them words of encouragement. And they were, she's sick. And I said, well, you know, she has lupus. You know, it wasn't like, oh, pity me. It was like words of encouragement. And that's what you find throughout all all lupus warriors. Um, How do people contact SAFE? People can contact SAFE. They can call SAFE, 800-757-4919. They can email um, krister, K-R-I-S-K-E-R, at newsafestart.org. That's our website. Visit our website is N-E-W-S-A-F-E-S-T-A-R-T. You can follow us on Facebook, Sisters Acquiring Financial Empowerment. You can follow me on most social media. Mine is Miss Kaylin, M-S-K-A-L-Y-N. Or you can find me at Kaylin Foy, K-A-L-Y-N. That's S-A-H-I-E. Wow. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, I mean, you're, you're busy, but you know what? That's a lupus warrior. You know, yes. that's a lupus warrior. Warriors are in are in it. You know, they're not, they're about it. You know, they're not just talking about it. They are about it. And you, you still are. Um, well, Kaylin, I mean, I am so happy to have had the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, hoping to see you virtually even through at a lupus, a lupus Detroit event or Most virtually definitely. at, at a state I'll be speaking I'll be speaking for Lupus on the twenty seventh in their series, their Zoom works webinar series they have so so make sure everybody checks those out. Okay. And I will have the links for that up as we go along. Um Sharon, are you still there? I'm still here. Isn't she awesome? Yes she is. Yes she is. Hey you not not to park again. You always <laughs> you, every time Sharon says I've got somebody who you should know and you should talk about. And here you go again. I think that like minds attract like minds. I mean, mm-hmm. and I can see where you two are the same mind. You you mm-hmm. are about lifting up people and helping them. You know, there are no there are no victims, you know. Lupus right. they're lupus mm-hmm. warriors, they're not lupus survivors. They're they're you know, where you've got people who are rising above a situation and doing better. Sharon, yes, ma'am. you know, we are always there with you. For webinar on the 27th, is, mm-hmm. is that the first of many? Um, actually, this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we start this Wednesday with our webinars. Um, people can find more information at facebook.com slash lupusdetroit. You know, all of our social media is Detroit. Uh-huh. And um, Lupus Detroit, the Instagram, the um, Twitter, and also the um, Facebook. So, yeah, we're going to have a good time this month. Uh-huh. And, you know, and I'm going to put it out there, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you can't walk with us this fall. You know, you can't attend a brunch uh-huh. with us this now. But you know what? Make a donation. Yeah. Make a donation, yeah. And, and, and make a donation. Have a and virtual walking team. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're looking into that too, and we love you so much that we are shifting things, and so folks can feel feel involved. Mm-hmm. You know, and I want to thank Kaylin for all of the nice things that she said. Girl, your PayPal is on the way. Your <laughs> <laughs> PayPal is on the way. That was really, you know, really, that really was nice. All you know, I'm very appreciative of Kaylin. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. so many Thank things that I hear, and you know, that I hear in her. I mean, I really am, you know, another warrior, you know, another great mm-hmm. person who I'm now part of our family, part of our That's family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, her transparency, that, that really gets me, you know, because mm-hmm. not everybody is willing to be so transparent. Mm-hmm as they go through, but I love Kaylin, love her to death. Uh, you know, and, and you know what, in our transparency, that'll mm-hmm. help some of these walls go down. Mm-hmm, and you know? feel more confident, yeah, to tell that's the story. Right. And, that, and that's what we have to do. Well, mm-hmm. Kaylin, I, I thank you so much for your time um, and your story. I mean, I, I hope that people reach out and support safe, uh, Support Lupus Detroit. Listen. If you hear someone, if you know of someone and, and you know, doctors, please listen. No one can be have a little bit of lupus. I mean, you can't be a little mm-hmm. bit pregnant. If mm-hmm. someone tells you they've got it, please give them the test that they need so they can get the treatment that they need. And if you know the rest of the community, know that if someone tells you, like, like Kaylin said, tells you something in confidence, Keep it in confidence, but be there so that they know that somebody knows what's going on and maybe can be that lifeline to them. Ladies, I love you both. I thank you thank both. Thank you so much. Okay. And I will talk to you both soon. So, um, Sounds good. God bless you. I love you both. Okay. Thank well, we're we done. I want to thank my guest, the founder and executive director of Lupus Detroit, Sharon Harris, and Lupus Warrior and founder of SAFE, Sisters Acquiring Financial Empowerment, Kaylin Risker-Foy. As a precautionary measure during the COVID-19 pandemic, Lupus Detroit has canceled its two premier fundraising events, the Spring Brunch and walk for warriors in the fall. The work, however, continues to eliminate lupus as a health problem through advocacy and service, including webinars, virtual support meetings, and its annual scholarship. Donations and additional information can be found at www.
www.lupusdetroit.com. Save. Sisters Acquiring Financial Empowerment equips survivors of domestic violence with the appropriate financial tools and resources needed to enable women to leave or recover from the economic portion of domestic violence. Like Lupus Detroit, its programs and services are also being provided online and virtually. Donations and additional information can be found at www.newsafestart.org. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on Google Play Music, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.